Welcome back to the Pretty Tough Podcast. My name is Caitlin, I'm your host. In today's episode, I'll be sitting down to interview Tori Patsis. On today's episode of the Pretty Tough Podcast, I'm sitting down with Tori Patsis for an interview. Tori and I have known each other since I was 13 years old, so it's been a few years, (laughs) but I'm super excited to get to talk to her about all things Team USA, ice dance, and where you go after ice skating, what happens after your career is done. So welcome, Tori. Thank you for joining me. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. I know. I'm so glad that you were able to join me and be part of this because I think you've got a really interesting story, and I think... Everyone will be really interested to hear it too. I hope so. Awesome. All right. So my first question for you is just introduce yourself. When and how did you start skating? How old were you when you started training seriously? All that kind of stuff. Um, so I actually started skating when I was four, but it didn't last very long. So my mom had put me at a recreational rink in Highland Park, Illinois, um, where she put me in lots of snow gear to go out onto the ice and I felt like I was literally enclosed with all of these clothing and I was like mom I can barely move but I'm still freezing I was like I I don't want to do this and I walked right off the ice and that was that um (laughs) come a few years later I tried again when I was nine years old and at nine years old I really enjoyed it so I started in uh freestyle which is basically doing like normal jumps skins or jumps and spins and it's solo so I did that. Um, I also tried pairs for a little bit, a couple years down the road. And in between all this, I was also working on uh, moves in the field and a little bit of ice dance here and there. But at the time, I kind of grouped moves in the field and ice dance together. And when you're young, moves in the field is literally the worst thing. (laughs) It it feels like the worst thing you can do because you're just sitting there. You're looking at all these prints of patterns you have to do on the ice and you're working on edge work and it's honestly it's it's boring <laughs> but it's the worst <laughs> it's yeah it was not the most fun but once I learned that moves in the field were just an obstacle you had to tackle to get to have better skating skills to go into ice dance I was all about it <laughs> so around I would say 15 years old I started with my first ice dance partner and him and I skated together for a year he was great it was a really great experience um but it just became clear that we were sort of just in different places. He was a little bit older than I was. And I think he wanted to go and do more of like show skating, more theatrical stuff, which is totally fine. But I was not at that place yet. I was at a place where I wanted to keep pursuing my dreams of ice dance. So um, we separated and he went and did his thing. And I went on something you call uh, partner search. So basically I would call it, it's like the matchmaking for skating. <laughs> so. Yeah, I remember going on that. Yeah, I had a profile. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's a really strange experience because you have to like upload your name, your height, your weight, all the information. It literally feels like a dating profile. Um, <laughs> but it within that, it kind of helps you like match yourself with different people. So in that, I found uh, Joe, and Joe lived in Colorado Springs. So I went from Chicago to Colorado Springs and did a tryout out there. And it was super fun. I really enjoyed it. It was definitely different than um, the skating training I had done in Chicago. Uh, Just the coaching style was different. The way they trained was different. It was a little bit more extreme than I was used to. But I really enjoyed it. 
So after doing some tryouts, uh, I decided that, well, not just I, but Joe and I both decided we wanted to skate together. So I took that step to move out to Colorado Springs. So we competed together that first year at that novice level, and we actually made the podium at nationals, which was super exciting. Um, it kind of feels like a surreal experience at this point because it was it was many years ago. So I remember the excitement in it, and I remember holding that medal and being like, is this real? Did this really happen? Um, and I see the pictures from when I was younger, and I'm like, we were such babies, but it's such an exciting experience. And that brought us to um, competing at the junior level. And we made uh, Team USA for that. Yeah, we went to Minsk, and I'd been to Italy previously for school, but it was my first time going for a sport. And it, you're trained to like how you're supposed to act. You're trained how you're supposed to like present yourself. All of the different things. And so I walked out, and I was like, I'm terrified, but this is the coolest experience I've ever had. <laughs> After that, uh, Joe and I competed at nationals that year. We finished out that season, but. Eventually, we decided that the partnership was no longer going to be the best thing for us as a team. So we actually parted ways. Uh, Joe and I were very close in height. So at the time, uh, I've grown a little bit since I stopped skating, but I was 5'5", five, five, and he was probably like 5'7", which is really close in height for a dance team. And they wanted me to fit this physical appearance that realistically my body build was just not meant for. And it was putting a lot of stress on me internally. And I was like, you know what, this isn't, this isn't what is best for me. And Joe, and I kind of came to that conclusion together and we kind of parted ways. So that's kind of the upbringing of my skating and how we got to where we were. Eventually after that, I did move to California and continue training with a new partner. Awesome. Yeah, I definitely understand the struggle of being really close in height to your partner because that's how I was too. Um, my first season, it wasn't as bad, but you know, you hit puberty and you kind of spring up. So I went from 5'4 to 5'8 really quickly. <laughs> and it's hard to be really close in height to your partner, especially with lifts and stuff like that. Even if it's not something put on you by your training team, it's kind of a subconscious pressure of, oh, I have to stay really skinny because my height's already making it harder. Um, and team environments can definitely like coaching environments can change that too. But I know I definitely felt that kind of pressure of, oh my gosh, I'm already so tall. Like I can't grow anymore in any way. <laughs> yeah, and You shouldn't have to feel that way. But I honestly think that's like a societal standard. Like they usually think like, oh, men and women are the man's always taller or vice versa. And it's just, it's not like that. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. That's something I've seen a lot of, I think, positive shift for in the industry too, because we've seen some more sibling pairs compete in ice dance. And I think they get away with being a little bit closer in height. So I feel like that would be a really good shift to make in the industry, but I digress. <laughs> height can be a really, really hard thing for partners. So it's nice to hear you like speak about that and the change that you ended up making where even though you and Joe were very close and worked well together, it just wasn't a good fit anymore. And you both needed to find a better um, environment to work in. Definitely. And I mean, I wish him all the best. I still talk to him today and he's doing all of his stuff with, um, I think Great Britain. He's somewhere doing different, like skating with the star shows, which is incredible. <laughs> so my next question is you've spoken uh, even just now about moving away from your family really young when you went from Chicago to Colorado. How did that affect you? Do you think I grew up skating and my family was always there. My mom was, even when I got older, she would, she'd, you know, sit there with her laptop, do her work while I was skating. Do you feel that family should be an active factor in a skater's training environment? Or is it better to take that backseat to just strike out on your own when you're young and kind of let coaches and other athletes handle uh, your training environment? 
I think this is a it's a hard question because I think there's definitely a fine line between the two. I had different people, like my mom's friends would drop me off at the rink to train because my mom was working all the time. Um, because skating is not a cheap sport. <laughs> it's a very expensive sport. So she she worked a lot. So I kind of had that disconnect in the beginning. Just my mom was like, okay, if you want to train, like I will have like a community of people to help you get there, which bless her heart, Angel, <laughs> thank you for her. But as far as parental involvement in coaching, I think that a parent has to put a lot of trust in a coach to make sure that they're taking care of their child. But I would say when I moved to Colorado Springs on my own, it was terrifying because I was going to a new area. I didn't really know anyone. I knew Joe, but I mean, at 16 years old, when you come from like a school where you know everybody and you're, I was super involved in school. It was kind of scary. So I think honestly, sometimes I was like, I wish my mom was here, but at the same time, they, my parents both had their jobs in Chicago and I'm not an only child. So it was a lot to ask them to kind of uproot their life, to take them to Colorado Springs for sort of what my dreams were. Cause that was my choice in the end. You know what I mean? I will say though, I think the coaches I had in Colorado Springs had the best intentions for me. I think those intentions were more based on the success in the sport rather than my overall like well-being and like physical mental health. So I think that it's kind of a gray area because I wish that sometimes parents would be a little bit more involved, but not past that technicality point. For instance, like a parent should be involved in checking in on their child. Are they sleeping enough? Are they eating enough? How are they doing outside of the sport? Just like normal things you'd check on for a child anyways. But I think as far as training schedules and the training itself to get to where you want to be is kind of the coach's idea. So it's kind of, I don't I know it's like a gray area. I keep saying that, but I think it's for a parent to watch over, but for a coach to kind of take the guide on that one. Yeah. I think that's a really good example of it. Cause I know my parents were super involved, but not everybody is, you know, fortunate enough to have parents who work from home and can just be there 24 seven. But there's also that line of when do parents become too overbearing, especially if they don't skate, they don't know all the technical aspects. They don't know what you're supposed to be doing. My mom had never set foot on the ice. So she could give me, you know, you need to look up when you do this part of your program, but she couldn't give me the technical pointers. And as for coaches, like there is that fine line too, where coaches aren't always parents, I think. And that definitely affects things. They don't always understand the parental aspect of it and doing what's best for a kid overall versus their training goals, because they can only only understand so much. And I, I 100% agree with that. I think when I was in Colorado Springs, because my parents weren't there, the coaches felt that they had to take on that parental role, which I mean, I... I appreciate them doing that, but also like, I'm like, I have my mom. She's taking care of me. Like I talk to her all the time. I still talk to her all the time, even though we live in the same state. I definitely think it's hard because when you're moving, especially as a teenager, (laughs) you have your own ideas of like what society is and who you are. And when someone that's coaching you tries to also take that role, it kind of provides a little bit of a conflict. Totally. Yeah. And I think going along with that, that kind of goes into my next question for you, because you moved so young and kind of had to be an adult at a young age and have this balance of, you know, a mom that's kind of far away and then coaches that are there trying to parent you as well. Did you feel like you had to mature quicker? Do you feel like you had to kind of put aside the normal growing up teenager experiences to continue skating? I would say so. So I don't know what a traditional 16 year old lifestyle is, just because I feel like I've it just happened so quickly. I was like, oh, this is just normal. This is life. But 
I would say moving and then living with a host family, it kind of puts you in a, like a spot of having to do everything like an adult. So I was now in charge of doing all of my laundry, cooking all of my food, managing my finances, making sure that I was to training on time, making sure I was doing things that most 16 year olds probably don't really worry about. Like for instance, when I lived in with my parents in Illinois, uh, like my parents would make dinner. Now I'm like, okay, well, I have to make dinner, which means I also have to go grocery shopping, <laughs> which which you don't think about these things. But I'm like, if there's no food in the fridge, I'm not going to eat anything. So no, I have to go to the store or I have to do my laundry. Otherwise, I'm not going to have these clothes. And it's just a shift. Like, I think I just did it naturally. But when you look at it from an outside view, it's a lot of steps that you kind of just have to take really quickly. Especially so young too, because most people will have that experience, you know, at 18 or 19 when they're moving out to college for the first time. Whereas you had to do it when your brain is still developing, you're literally still a child. And that's an entirely different world to try to manage. And I will say that switching schools was not an easy task. I, when I switched from the school in Illinois to the school in Colorado Springs, I was not a fan of it. I was super involved in my school and Illinois, I was in choir, I ran varsity track, I was super involved with like hanging out with my friends. Um, so I had all those connections. And when I moved to Colorado Springs, I was like, okay, well, I'm sitting in a classroom. I remember I wore, I wore a hat to school one day, and the principal walked into the school, she like, pointed at me and she's like, you need to come to my office. And I was so confused. I was like, what did I do wrong? She's like, you're wearing a hat. You're not allowed to wear hats at school. And I was like, what? <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, I had no idea. I'm like, I was this written somewhere? It probably was, but you know, there was a lot of things. So yeah, it was a definitely a different environment. <laughs> right. Yeah, for sure. And I think especially with that too, when you're training at such a young age in a different state and trying to do all these adjustments. I know for me, considering I was homeschooled, I never had that normal school experience. It's so easy to just be consumed by the culture of skating too, because you aren't really meshing with people at school or you don't really know anybody there. So it's super easy to just be like, well, skating's my entire life now. That's all I have. <laughs> well, and that's kind of what ended up happening is I was, I did one semester at Cheyenne High, Mountain High School and then I decided to switch to online school and online school when you're training all the time is not the easiest thing, especially when you don't have a parent to be like, you need to do your homework. Oh yeah. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I'm pretty organized, but I think I just had so much going on and I would sit there looking at math problems and I'm like, I have no idea how to do this. Like, I'm like, there's no one teaching me. There's an online program. Like, I mean, given the state of COVID, I've learned online programs now, but <laughs> And what, when I was 16 years old, it wasn't like that. So I ended up getting my GED after I had finished skating, which honestly consumed me by the world of skating because I was no longer in a normal school setting. So yeah, and it's really, like you said, it's really easy to get consumed by the politics of the skating world. It's hard, like looking back, I know we've both, you know, been out of the skating world for quite a few years now. So I don't know if you feel the same way as I do, but I kind of look back and I'm like, oh my God, none of that was normal. What were we doing? So I look back and I'm like, oh my gosh, I remember my mom would literally just like, she would be teaching at home. So I would finish my skating session. I would go sit upstairs at the restaurant and do my homework. And now it's like, I can't imagine doing that. And my entire life was skating. I was always at the rink. Yeah, I 100% agree. I know because when I was skating in Illinois still, I would finish school early um, and then I would get taken to skating practice. And then some days I would finish school on time and I'd go to track and then I would go to skating or I would go to skating practice at 5 a.m. and then go to school. And I'm like, how did I do that? I'm like, where, where was all the energy? Where did it come from? 
<laughs> Seriously, no, I look now at like a 21-year-old me and I'm like, I take one college class and I am out for the day. I take one lecture and I am done. I don't know how I had that energy as a kid, but it's so easy to get consumed by skating and the politics of it and just that world. And going off of that too, for female ice dancers, I feel like it's pretty common to move around and sacrifice to find a partner since male ice dancers are kind of few and far between. You know, girls are a dime a dozen in this sport and guys, I don't want to say are a hot commodity, but they kind of are. There's so few of them competing at higher levels. Do you feel like that kind of culture is fair? Is there pressure to just kind of suck up to whatever the guy or his training environment wants just to have that partnership because it is so hard to come by? So I think I have a little bit different view on this just based on like the circumstances I was in. So I I did multiple tryouts and given like the pros and cons of all the tryouts and everything that I did, I moved to the man because the coaching was better. So I think if the circumstances had been different and the place that I was training had been a better option, I would have asked them to move to me. But just because I'm like, all the things are more beneficial on over here. I kind of made that decision. But like I mentioned, Joe and I also split because I had an eating disorder. <laughs> so I think it also shows that being with a partnership is a hard, it's a hard thing because you want to stay and you want to be like, I found this person. It's so hard to find a man to skate with in this. And I want to stay here. But at the same time, I also left because I was like, my body is more important than this partnership right now. Yeah, I think mirroring my own experience too um with that I realized looking back I don't think I had the same experience as you where I would just go where the coaching was better because I did tryouts and I ended up mostly you know I flew to Philadelphia for a tryout I flew to Las Vegas uh for a tryout and in Vegas there the coaching wasn't better so I kind of look back and I'm like well why was I considering moving to Vegas for a boy who wasn't as high of a level as me and the coaching system wasn't as good like why was that even an option so I know it definitely depends on the skater and the environment and I think partially the culture too but it is interesting that you mentioned that it was more of just like the coaching and the training environment that you wanted um and along with that like I know that I ended my partnership for similar reasons of just I need to get out for my own mental sanity <laughs> like it wasn't really an option after spending a couple seasons kind of doing everything I could to make it work because I knew I probably wouldn't have another chance with my height. Um, so it's nice to see somebody else kind of share that perspective of, you know, at some point you do have to cut it off. If it's unhealthy for you, you have to get out <laughs> for your own sake. Yeah. And I definitely think that like the self-doubt and like the lack of self-confidence is a learned behavior. So I don't think when I went into my partnerships with my with Joe or the one after that, like I thought of myself in any negative way. I think that's learned through the culture of the partnership, which I, I feel bad saying that, but I'm like I I'm like I didn't have an eating disorder before I started the partnership and it kinda just manifests itself through that. No, you're I absolutely agree with that too. It's definitely a learned behavior, I think, especially for women in the sport. I know and coaches they could say things that you would not even like think of. I remember one of my coaches before I had moved to Colorado Springs, he had told me, he's like, if you have more than an inch of fat on your stomach that you can switch or squish with your fingers, you're too fat. I was like, I was like, in what world does that make sense? (laughs) 
right? Like where does an inch of belly fat correlate to you not being fit for this sport that you're doing? And that kind of brings me into my next question too, is you've spoken about struggling with an eating disorder and you think that it was, or believe that it was brought on by your training, which I think definitely it's a learned behavior, especially for women to kind of just squeeze into whatever box they need to be squeezed in so that they can make a partnership work. But do you, do you feel like training environments and culture of ice dance and partnering affects that? Like how do we change this skating culture to go from you just do whatever, you struggle with an eating disorder, you let your mental health suffer to have this partnership. How do we change that to supporting healthy bodies and healthy athletes? So I think there are as many steps that need to be taken for that one. I think first off, it should not be allowed for coaches to weigh their students. I understand that, for instance, if it was the opposite way, say that a student was struggling with being too small, then maybe you could direct them towards a nutritionist or a dietitian to help them in that aspect. But I don't think coaches should be able to take that step. I think they should be allowed to guide you to someone that is a professional in it. But I don't think, for instance, like my coach used to weigh me in front of my peers and that literally, it destroyed me. I'm like, you're making me feel like I am not good enough. You're making me feel like I'm too big. And let alone being a teenager, I'm like, no one should feel that way. Absolutely. Yeah, that's horrifying. And I think the atmosphere of like women, especially ice dancers, like we have to fit in these very tiny costumes. I remember my coach being like, you, if you gain any more weight, you're not going to fit in your costume or your skating partner's not going to be able to lift you. Like those comments like need to change. The way, the way we interact with a student and a coach like that itself needs to have boundaries. So I think creating a boundary and creating just self-respect between each other would be a big <laughs> change. I also think that um, students and coaches need to be more educated on um, like what our body needs to work properly. So I think it's important for an athlete to be like, okay, well, this is how my body functions. This is how much I'm skating. This is how much fuel I need to continue in this sport opposed to this is as little as I can eat to be in the sport. So I think just the way of thinking about it kind of needs to be altered a little bit. Yeah, definitely. There needs to be that kind of cultural change. And especially you mentioned about coaches directing skaters to a dietitian or a nutritionist. It feels like sometimes coaches will take on that role themselves, even if they're not necessarily trained in it. And it's almost like an overstepping of boundaries. And it it definitely is because dietitians, nutritionists, they go to school for it and they get their certifications in it. And there is a lot that goes into how our body works. And I understand and I respect that skating coaches do know the sport. They know how to coach you to do the programs, to do the skills. But say, for instance, you are dealing with like hormonal imbalances. A coach can't know that because you need to have blood work to be able to figure that out, which can't be done by staring at a scale. (laughs) Yeah, like standing on a scale in front of your peers isn't going to do anything but create shame. And especially as a teenager, no, you don't need to feel that way. Your brain is already developing. You're already going through this time where you're like, oh my gosh, nobody look at me. This is the worst. <laughs> so you don't need that extra embarrassment or that extra overstep just to, you know, keep skating. No, and it was terrible. I think there was a point when I was skating where I would literally count calories and gum. Like I wrote my college um, essay on that, my, actually my master's essay. And I was like, you know, that's not a way to live <laughs> counting calories and gum. <laughs> But that I was taught to do that. So here we are. Right. And honestly, I think, obviously, I'm not a nutritionist, so I can't speak for this entirely. But calories, I think we've kind of learned, aren't really the way to 
go, especially for an athlete. Like you need that protein. You need to focus on what's going to actually fuel your body and give you energy to compete at such high levels. No, definitely. And I think, especially because my boyfriend, actually, he trained at the OTC and he was talking to me about how they feel for their athletes. And the second they would finish their training, they were eating. And I know in like our sport, the second I finished my training, I was drinking water. So there is a, there is a big difference there. It's a huge cultural shift. And I think getting out of skating and then looking at other sports and how they treat their bodies it's like a wake up call of, oh my God, you aren't just like chugging Gatorade once you get off the ice and then think about eating maybe later. Like you go and just eat immediately. That is definitely something that I hadn't even thought about until I was out of the sport. And I was like, wow, that's messed up. Like what we do for skating is messed up. It's very strange. It's very strange being in the quote unquote real world now. (laughs) Definitely. I have said it almost like it's deprogramming from a cult, which I don't, I wouldn't call it a full-blown cult in the sense, but it's definitely, you kind of are coerced into the way of thinking just because you're so involved in the sport. That's all you do that stepping away from it, you realize, wow, a lot of these behaviors aren't healthy. These are things that I've learned through being in the environment and they weren't actually what's best for me as a human. Maybe they were best for me as a skater, but (laughs) they're not healthy for any human. No, I a hundred percent agree. And actually within the years that you and I both skated, there's a lot of ice dancers who have come out talking about their eating disorders and come out saying like, I always had to fit this image and I had to be so thin and a lot of them are injured. Like that was honestly one of the reasons I stopped is because my body was so brittle and I was always injured. And I'm like, this is not good. (laughs) So. Right. Yeah. Injuries like skating careers are already so short. And then having this pressure of what you need to look like becomes such an extra pressure that you end up ending your career even earlier because of injuries. And that's awful. You mentioned this in um, our emails back and forth about how you would always be told to look a certain way, but then there would be nothing for, you know, the guy lifting weights to be stronger. Like I got very lucky that I have a very fast metabolism. So weight was never really brought up for me. It was mentioned with my height, but not in a way that I think other people have felt it. Um, I would, but still, you would hear those comments around the rink of, you know, one guy saying to a partner, oh, you ate that funnel cake today. I'm not gonna be able to lift you tomorrow. And it's like, well, just go to the gym. Like, <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's so interesting. Cause I know like my body built, I'm naturally built a little bit stockier and I've always had thicker legs and that is what it is. I ran track. I was in freestyle first, like those legs, they hold me up, they're strong. And I remember them being criticized and they'd be like, well, your legs are too big. Or I know like if my partner and I were sitting next to each other and one, like if my legs look bigger than his, like I would become insecure because I was taught that I needed to be smaller than him. You know, like your upper core muscles, like if you're not always engaging those, like your stomach can like pop out a little bit. Um, When I would stand at the wall, like when we were training and we were listening to feedback from our coaches, I remember my coach would be like, suck in your stomach. Your stomach is hanging out. You look fat. I was like, excuse me? I'm like, I'm sorry for breathing. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry that I have internal organs that need to function. (laughs) Real inconvenience. (laughs) Yeah. And they, and, and there's a lot of stuff about that, even on social media today, like for women that have like a little bit more of like body fat in like their lower stomach, like that is where your organs are. That is where your uterus is. And that's okay. And I was taught that you need to be super, super thin. And I'm like, where, I'm like, no wonder my body wasn't like functioning the way it should have. Yeah, because you weren't able to fuel your body to be the way that it naturally is at its strongest. And something that I realized too is like, 
honestly, at any weight, you if you are a woman and you're being lifted, as long as you know how to hold your weight, like just not be a limp noodle in the air, like a guy can lift you. (laughs) There needs to be the equal balance of, you know, does the woman know how to hold her weight and make sure that she's strong enough to do these things? And can the guy, you know, work on his strength too, to be able to lift her? It's not just a one-way street. And you know, it's interesting you said that. So I remember Joe and I were at a competition and we were going into um, our curve lift. And then that lift, I would like jump up and hook my skates under his armpits and I would lean back all the way. And I, at that point, I did not have enough fuel in my system. So I jumped up to hook myself onto his like arms and my body didn't have the strength to do it. And I was like, if I had been maybe two pounds heavier, let alone those two pounds would have made a huge difference in the skating world. But I'm like, if I had been fueled properly, I wouldn't have been in that position. And, and I a hundred percent agree with you. Like if you know how to hold your body and you have the strength to do it, two people work together just fine. Cause I would lift Joe like, and he weighed more than I did. I'm like, you know what? It just has to do with the dynamics of the partnership. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that could be such a huge shift for ice dance too. I know, again, we've seen it with some sibling pairs where the girl will lift the guy. And I think that would be such a cool shift to see more commonly because it's not always the easiest thing to lift the girl depending on height and weight, but it shouldn't just be the solution that, you know, the girl gets skinnier. It should be, how do you work around this? How do you make it so that this partnership works well and you can perform at your best? We kind of spoke on this earlier, but when you are picking partnerships, I think it's important that um, both athletes realize what they're walking into. So for instance, when I started skating with Joe, the body type and weight that I had was not good enough. And if it was not quote unquote good enough at the time, then we shouldn't have been together. Like I think that if what I was presenting and what I was able to give them was not what they wanted, then that partnership should have been shifted a different way or it should have been spoken about earlier rather than become a huge issue. You know what I mean? Definitely. So you feel like it almost spiraled into the point of, you know, having to change your weight, getting these comments being weighed, those sorts of things, because it wasn't brought up at the beginning. Yeah. And I know they had always said like, oh, they're close in height, but they had never really mentioned the weight aspect of it. And I think if like, hey, we need you to be a smaller girl had been said in the beginning, then maybe my decisions of like how I wanted to go about like changing my body, quote unquote, would have been a little bit different. Like maybe I would have met with a dietitian and I would have seen like what proteins and fat and carb sources I could give my body to have prime functioning, but also to kind of get the body type that I was, that was needed for that partnership. But because it wasn't said, I just kind of spiraled and did it any way that I knew how without any guidance. Yeah. And I know that we said this earlier too, but there's kind of that just desperation of, well, I really want this partnership to work. So I'm just going to suck it up and deal with it. And that's not always healthy. Like there should be expectations and boundaries set ahead of time. So you know what you're walking into and are blindsided by this sudden, oh my God, this person just said that I have an inch of belly fat and I need to suck in my stomach. (laughs) You know, that's crazy. Like now if I looked at my stomach, I'd be like, awesome. I have an inch of belly fat. Cool. Like- (laughs) right? (laughs) I don't know. I'm like, that's human. That's how life is. And I think it's also one thing I do want to mention is at one point when Joe and I were skating together, I was very, very small and I was always cold. Like we would go train and I was wearing like multiple, uh, like tights and pants and leg warmers and jackets. And I was just freezing all the time because I didn't have enough body fat. And we had done a program run through and my coach at the time looked at me and she was like, I need you to eat this. And I was, I was like, what? You've been telling me I need to be thinner. Now you're telling me to eat this? I was like, what? 
I was like, I don't understand. And I refused. I was like, I'm not doing that. I'm like, you're telling me I need to be smaller. So why do I need to keep, why do I need to eat right now? She's like, because you need to eat something. I'm like, I don't want to. I'm like, you trained me to think this way. So I don't want to. Yeah. When your coach has already kind of made that overstep into your life and your nutrition, of course, when they just suddenly changed around, you're going to be like, why would I do that? Yeah. And we've, my coach and I have spoken since uh, I retired from skating and she's apologized time and time again. She's like, I'm so sorry that I put you through that. Like, I feel horrible. And I've kind of just come to this point where I'm like, okay, like, thank you for your apology. It doesn't change the fact, but I appreciate you being aware that your actions did cause harm. And at the end of the day, yeah, like you can look at the coach and say, you did something wrong. You hurt me. But also, uh, this is kind of an extra question. It wasn't one that I sent you, but I think it's interesting anyways, is how much do you feel like that is on the coach specifically? Or is it something that comes down to skating culture as a whole? Like, obviously, she is responsible for part of this damage. But is that all her thinking? Or is it something in the culture? Um, I would say in the culture itself as well, because I think if the culture didn't expect this physical appearance of what is deemed as beauty and ice dance, she wouldn't have been as harsh on the weight as she was. Cause I know, I know she had said like, this is just how it is in ice dance. Like you just need to fit this way. You just need to look this way. And I know it wasn't out of harm and it wasn't to be like malicious in any way, but she was just trying to have a successful team because as a coach, it's also like an achievement when your team is successful. I think for her, she's like, I want this team to succeed. I need them to do, or I need to do whatever I can do to get them to that point. So, I mean, it is on her, but I think it's also on, it's like what she was taught. So she was just kind of passing that down to get to the success that she wanted for us. Right. Yeah. That's kind of the conclusion I've come to as well, where it's like, yes, I wish that my coaches had done something differently or stepped in for me, spoken up for me, advocated for me in certain aspects. But at the same time, it is also kind of the culture. Like how responsible is a coach when they're kind of just getting told that this is how it is um, and you just have to follow the rules because that's how you get a winning team. Yeah. And I've, we've spoken recently, actually, and I don't think she's coaching anymore, but her stepping outside of the sport, I think also made her realize just how brutal it was. And she's apologized multiple times. And I'm like, I'm like, I heard you the first time and I really appreciate it. And I I told her, I was like, I accept your apology. And I think it took her being outside of the sport to kind of realize that it was wrong, which honestly shows how much of an influence, like all the politics and media of figure skating are. Absolutely. Yeah, it definitely is just a cultural thing where once you get so sucked into it, you normalize weird stuff like that. You know, you step outside and you're like, wow, I really shouldn't have been weighing this teenage girl in front of everybody else. But you don't realize it at the moment because that's just how it is. And it shouldn't it shouldn't be that way. The culture shouldn't be built that way to begin with. Yeah, and definitely. And I honestly, when I skated, I drank so much caffeine because I'm like, you have no fuel. And that's, I would, I would think back to different competitions. I remember there were so many girls drinking black coffees and energy drinks and like sipping on tons of water just to kind of fill your stomach, but also give you some sort of energy. And I'm like, that's horrible. Like when you think about it, that's horrible. Yeah. I remember at least for me, there was a ton of focus on drinking stuff like Gatorade because I would run out of energy, even though I was eating just because you burn so many calories while skating instead of, you know, snacking constantly, you would just drink Gatorade or Powerade or something like that, just to get that sugar back in your system and keep going, which doesn't necessarily equate to disordered eating to begin with, but it is normalized. And I, I think there is, there are like pros and cons of Gatorade. I think, um, 
obviously it gives your body quick acting sugars, which is good for training, but it shouldn't be a replacement for um, post-training meals. Absolutely. Yeah. It's not a meal replacement. You can't survive on Gatorade alone. <laughs> no, because there's like no real nutrients in them long-term. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, so I think that's definitely an interesting kind of shift in the culture too. And then you mentioned that you've stopped skating now. You've stepped away from it. And all skating careers inevitably come to an end and they come to an end pretty young. Um, whether you want to quit on your own volition or if you quit because of an injury or something like that. So where have you been since retiring? What are you up to now? Um, so I retired six years ago now, which is crazy to me. <laughs> I retired at age 20. I'm now 26. Um, since then, I spent some time in California. So after I moved there to train, I trained there for two years. And then I had residency. So I was like, okay, well, I'll just go to school out here because I got in-state tuition. So I went to a community college out there for a little bit. I was coaching skating at the local rink. Um, I had already made friends in California since I'd been there a while. So I was kind of just living a normal life for once, which was really weird to me. <laughs> and I uh, did all my schooling out there, but eventually I came to this point where I was like, you know, I was like, I like being in California. I have friends in California, but I was like, what is the purpose of me being here originally was to train. And since I don't have that anymore, I felt like it wasn't the right place for me. So I decided at 23 that I wanted to be closer to my family. So I moved back to Colorado. So <laughs> it's a kind of a weird situation that has happened, but I was in Colorado Springs. And then when I decided to move to California to train, my mom moved to Colorado Springs. So we kind of missed each other. She was trying, she was trying to make that change to come out here to be with me. And I just had left to California. So it was horrible timing. I was like, I haven't been with my family for a really long time. I'd really love to be close to them. So I moved to Colorado Springs um, and my mom and stepdad both live here, which is nice. So I've been able to be with them. Um, we're able to kind of see each other more on a regular basis. So that's really nice. I finished my undergraduate degree at UCCS, which is a college within Colorado Springs. And I finished with a major in psychology and a minor in pre-law. It was a fun degree, honestly, because I got to learn about the mind and the body. And then I also got to learn a little bit more on the social justice side of things. And then I'm actually starting my master's in fall. So in August, I'll start my master's at UCCS, and that's going to be in social work. So I'm really excited for that. I don't exactly know where it'll take me. I have different ideas of what I would like to do, but it'll depend upon field placements and stuff like that that go within the school. Outside of school, I also met my boyfriend. His name is Alex. We've been together for two and a half years. He is great. And we moved in together, I think like seven months ago. And we now have um, a dog named Brutus and a cat named Lila. And they are both rescue animals. So that's great. <laughs> yeah, so it, it's crazy. I mean, there's been a lot of ups and downs, but it got me to where I am. So I'm super thankful for that. Yeah. And I'm sure you mentioned like living a normal life for once and how that was so different, but I'm sure that that's a nice change too. Yeah. It's really weird. I went from being so structured and when I left skating, I was still super structured. And when my boyfriend and I met, he had just come out of um, elite judo training and he and I were both kind of in this weird place. I was like, am I super structured still? Do I need to be super structured still? And it was definitely a transition to figure out like how I wanted to go about my days. Like I'm like, I, I like being busy, but also I need a little bit of leeway because my whole life has been structured. 
Definitely. Yeah. There's that aspect of like newfound freedom, I guess, where you don't really know what to do. Cause I, I experienced that too of like, well, what do I do now? Like, what am I supposed to do with my life when I'm not getting up at 5 a.m. to go to the rink every day? You know, and that's honestly why I think, like, I think I mentioned it earlier, but staying, I wish I had stayed in school, like normal school, because I would have had those connections and a little bit outside, more outside balance, opposed to being so consumed by skating. And then when I left skating, I was like, who am I? <laughs> like, there's almost that having to rediscover who you are outside of skating because there is more to life than your skating career. It's going to end when you're pretty young. So you have to have that kind of not necessarily a backup plan, but you know, you have to know what you're going to do with your life. <laughs> yeah. Which I had no idea. I stopped skating. And I was like, what do I do now? Right. <laughs> I'm like, and you can think of all the things I'm like, Oh, I want to do this. Oh, I want to do that. And, but when I stopped skating, it was totally different than what I thought I wanted to do. Like I, when I stopped training, I was like, I don't really want to work out for a little bit. I wanted to give my body a rest. I I was like, do I want to do another hobby? I was like, what are my hobbies? Like, wh what do I do? <laughs> like, what do I want to do with my life? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And it's interesting because a lot of a lot of my friends that were within skating, um, a lot of them are still competing, which that's great for them. My body is not there. <laughs> um, but a lot of them have also moved on. So it's really interesting to see what other people have done. Like, I have a friend going to law school, and I have another friend working in fitness, and it's just interesting to see how we've all changed and grown into these people outside of the sport. Yeah, I know. It's always so fun. I am still Facebook friends with so many people I competed with. And it's so fun to see where all of them have gone because a lot of them went to college. Some of them are still skating. Like I'll recognize names at nationals every once in a while and be like, oh, yeah, like we competed at the same sectionals and like a decade ago. <laughs> but it's cool to see where everybody's gone because some of us have gone on to, you know, the real world. And then some of us are still coaching or skating, competing in the world in some aspects. Yeah. And I think it's also interesting. A lot of people that are still in the sport that were there when like you and I were skating, like skating will forever be their life. Like, and there's nothing wrong with that, but a lot of those super elite athletes go on to coach and that's their life and that's great. But I think there's also, there's like two different routes you can take once you leave the competitive world. Definitely. Yeah. There's either like show skating and coaching, or you have to kind of stop and get a real life. <laughs> not that compete, not that coaching and uh, show skating isn't a real life because that is an absolutely viable career, but there, it's a different thing to step away, hang up the skates and then go from there because it has been your whole life. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. I know when I went back to school, cause I had taken my GED. So when I went back to community college, they're like, okay, we want you to write this essay. We want you to do this. We want you to do that. And since I haven't been in normal school for so long, I was like, oh my gosh, how do I, what do I, uh, where do I start? <laughs> and obviously now I'm good. Like I graduated and did all that, but I, I was like, I haven't written an essay forever. And that's hard too, to kind of set aside your education just to skate when you know it's going to come to an end eventually. Um, whether it's, you know, sooner or later, you're, you will have to stop competing at some point and it's hard to kind of put aside that aspect of your life just to get that gold medal, get that Team USA jacket. Yeah, I would definitely agree. I think I have my Team USA stuff and I know my mom put like our medals and stuff in like a little shadow box and I look at it and I'm like, that's so cute and it's such a good memory, but I'm like, I'm glad I've moved on. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, my mom and I found my old box of trophies and stuff like that a couple months ago and I was like, ah, back in the good old days, but you know, it's an aspect of my life where I'm good. That door is closed and I don't necessarily feel the need to go back to competing in any way. Going along with that, 
you know, what would your advice be to young skaters who may be in a similar situation of having a training environment that's not super healthy or moving away from home young, you know, kind of leaving their education beside in that kind of situation? Um, I would say that there just needs to be like a healthy level of involvement from parents. I think um, parents should always be aware of like what their student or what their child is doing. Um, same with like coaching needs to be aware of what their student is doing. Like for instance, like eating disorder behavior, I think my coach should have been aware that, that it was spiraling into that and she should have been able to kind of tailor it so it didn't go into that atmosphere or that uh, like into that pattern. But I know, for instance, like my mom, anytime she would visit, she'd be like, hey, I want you to eat this. I want you to do that. And it's really hard when you have an eating disorder um, for a parent to kind of step in without you reacting in a negative way. So my mom was super cautious and aware and tried to help but there's only so much they can do right but, and she's in another state too <laughs> yeah and like and yeah exactly she's in another state like what can you do especially with a teenage girl like definitely <laughs> we don't always listen <laughs> no <laughs> um but I would also say like just checking in make sure that like the student or the daughter or son or whatever is eating enough sleeping enough like social involvement are they injured are they exhausted are they happy like checking in on things that are both skating related and outside of skating related, because like you've said, like after skating, life goes on. Yeah, it's very rare to be able to keep skating for the rest of your life unless you have, you know, the platform of like Johnny Weir, where now he's doing commentating. That is a one in a million chance. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, definitely. And I, I would honestly say advice for like parents is to kind of I know my mom couldn't move to Colorado Springs and I think with a lot of kids who do move, their parents can't go with them, but I think there needs to be kind of a conversation with the coach and with the parent of what the expectations are. So everyone's on the same like guy. So everyone knows what we're doing opposed to the coach, the coach being like, this is what I need from you, but not telling the parents and it just creates conflict and it's unnecessary. Yeah, that communication is definitely important. So you're not just, you know, shipping your kid off to some unknown state with unknown people. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> right. And along with that, like, do you think that along with, you know, moving and stuff like that, if you're competing at a higher level, uh, enforcing more educational structure, making sure that your student or your kid has that kind of outside of skating a community, I guess to say, um, if they're in school or have an extracurricular activity that they also enjoy, do you think that's important too? I do. I think like anything, for instance, if like I go to train for three hours, but I also really want to sing in choir, I should have the opportunity to do both. Totally. Yeah. And there are so many kids I've talked to where they finish skating and they're like, yeah, I mean, I always wanted to do X, Y, Z while I was skating, but I I wasn't allowed to. I had to keep skating. That was all I could do. And it's like, okay, why aren't we doing both? Why aren't we growing our students and our kids and future skaters into well-rounded adults? (laughs) Yeah. And I, like, I think when I lived in Illinois, like I did track and skating and I loved it. I loved being able to do both. But when I moved to Colorado, that was, that was basically my job was to train. And I do think it's important to be like, okay, well, my training hours or schedule is this and this. And I think it'd be important for like a child to pick, like, I want you to do one hobby, like even like twice a week, something that is outside of skating, something that you enjoy to kind of separate the training to something not quote unquote more fun, but just different. 
yeah, something else to keep you involved with your community, not get so sucked into the politics of skating. I think that would be really helpful. And it's the same thing with competition too, where you have to be in it for the right reasons. It's not sacrificing all the win. It's becoming a well-rounded person outside of that and competing should just be one aspect. Because once that career ends, you have to be able to move on to something else if you don't want to coach or skate in shows. So starting that kind of relationship from the very beginning of, you know, you are a competitor in skating. That's what your main thing is. But we're also going to set up, set you up for success outside of it too. Yeah, I definitely 100% agree. And I would say, like, for instance, I took my GED, but I think being involved in like school, whether it's like in person or online or homeschool, but like some sort of like foundation and organized education is really important. Absolutely. Yeah. Education is so important. I think it definitely gets thrown to the side sometimes with skating because it is such a time consuming sport of like, well, you can just work on that later. And then later doesn't come. (laughs) So being able to have that structure is really important. Yeah. And I think we've already kind of answered this question ourselves too, but if you could choose one thing to change about competitive figure skating, whether that's the culture, um, coaches, uh, one aspect of competition, even you could be as specific as you want, what would it be? I would say that I wish that athletes would learn that like this idea of beauty within figure skating is not the whole entire world's view of beauty. And let alone what society says is beautiful is not technically what you should deem as beautiful. And we need to learn that who we are is enough. And that I think this is something that I've always kind of said to myself, like food is fuel, food is not failure. So learning that we are who we are and that is that is what it is and that should be enough is really important to me. Definitely, yeah. We don't need to fit into a coach's or the skating culture's box of what an athlete looks like. You know, who we are as our as we come is enough. All right. So my last question for you is kind of a cheesy one, but since my podcast is called Pretty Tough, what makes you a pretty tough athlete? So I, I joked about this when I sent you these questions, but honestly, so when Joe and I were competing overseas, we were at one of our official practices and we got too close on our twizzles and his toe pick went into my shin and it made like, it was a huge gash. It was to the bone. And I finished the entire program and there was blood all over the ice. It was so gross. And I, when we finished, I was like, I need someone to look at my leg because I don't know what just happened, but I'm in so much pain. And I ended up getting my shin stitched closed in the hotel room in Minsk by the team doctor for Team USA. (laughs) I mean, that's kind of a quirky one, but like realistically looking outside of that, which has kind of been like a whole theme of this I think like self-worth being dictated by a scale or how our genes fit or anything like that it's just it's not what we should be focused on we should be okay with how our bodies are we need to learn that we are who we are and me learning that I am who I am and getting this healthy relationship with food again and loving how my body looks has made me the tough person totally. that I am yeah, today. You're tough enough that you can um, deal with a cut like that and just keep going. And who cares if you have a thigh gap? Like <laughs> you got through your program. Yeah. Right. I literally, I honestly don't even think I've ever had a thigh gap. Like my no, legs are most not people's aren't. Thigh gaps are super unrealistic. It takes a very specific body type to have it. It's a silly beauty standard. So yeah, being able to get through something like a program overseas, dealing with a cut like that, it's a, who cares? I have a <laughs> huge, huge scar on my shin now. 
And oh it- my gosh. Yeah. If I were you in that competition, I would have tapped out immediately. I would have been like, I'm done. <laughs> like we're going home. Yeah. <laughs> I competed with it. And I remember there was just so much pressure in my shin. I was like, well, right. this is what it is. <laughs> Yeah, again, oh my gosh, it's just the culture of it is what it is. You struggle through no matter how much pain you're in. Well, thank you so much for joining me. This was so, it was so cool to hear about your experience and where you've gone since because, you know, like you said, there are a lot of people who are still kind of in the skating world and talking to people who are kind of outside of it now and removed from it and how the different perspective is always so interesting. So yeah, if there's any last things you want to say, if there's, I don't know if you want people to like follow you on social media, but if you uh, want to you know if you want to plug your social media you're more than welcome to yeah I mean they definitely can it's Toriana23 I do post some stuff about like recovering from an eating disorder occasionally but it is mostly just honestly about my life like my life has gone on I do post things about skating sometimes just saying like how great of a time it was in my life but it's mostly just kind of tailored to who I am today and I am so thankful I was able to speak with you today. It's such a important topic and I'm so glad that we were able to address it together. Yeah, it's been so fun to reconnect and talk about, you know, the similarities in our experiences and the differences too, because I know that you trained at a much higher level, competed at a higher level than I ever did. And that comes with, you know, a whole can of worms that I would never even get into otherwise. So (laughs) yeah, but regardless, our experiences and our journeys are they align at some level, and I think it's great to have both perspectives. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you involved. Thank you for being part of this. I appreciate it. But thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I really hope that you enjoyed this episode and found it informative. But I'm going to go ahead and go. My name is Caitlin. I am Pretty Tough, and I will catch you next week. If you're an athlete with a story to tell, I'd love to hear from you. You can email me at prettytoughsports at gmail.com, and I will get back to you as soon as possible. You can follow Pretty Tough on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok under Pretty Tough Sports. The Pretty Tough Podcast is also available for listening anywhere you got your podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Anchor itself.